It's time for faith and life to connect. I first go before God, working on who and what I am before Him and what He's calling me to be as a husband. Where a Christian walk meets our day-to-day life. Dealing with that baggage can mean anything from delaying the marriage to dealing with the baggage. For sure. And where it's okay to laugh a little. Meaningless days, I look at. <laughs> I'm looking at meaningless days and live happily with the woman you love, and I'm trying to figure out how they wind up in the same set. <laughs> We're not saying that the marriage is meaningless. Heaven forbid we say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. This is The Session with Tom Russell from Heritage Christian Counseling Ministries. What triggers your potential spouse? And that you guys both agree, yeah, they are triggers, and it is, as we grow, something we have to work through. But we're going to give each other grace and space to do that. It's time for Faith and Life to connect here on Rise FM. I am Scott here with Tom, the king of the cranium. Yes. This is the session. <laughs> and uh, today we are going to, um, uh, we're, we're going to take a leap. Yes. This, we're going we're to take a leap. Uh, life on the edge, according to Dr. Dobson. Let's do a little piece of housekeeping first to okay. kind of do a woot woot yay kind of thing. We're going to try something very different in May. Okay. We're going to get your sister... Right. On a Zoom call, and we're going to do a show or two or so about an issue she's very passionate about. And I'm kind of hoping we can get some young Tom stories, too. Oh, interesting. I'm sure she has some. <laughs> the question is, do you remember any? <laughs> we'll, give you, we'll give you about 30 seconds for rebuttal. Yeah. Uh, but that will be in. Uh, that'll be the first part of May, so be, be listening for more about that. But today we're going to dive into Dr. Dobson's life on the edge. And before we jump in, Tom, we turn to God's Word. Well, and, oh, Master of the Airways, I think we will. <laughs> oh my okay it's coming out of proverbs 15 22 plans go wrong for the lack of advice many advisors bring success other translations say there's wisdom in a number of counselors so that when we can listen to more than one person you like that one don't you i do the wisdom of counselors that's for sure Mm -hmm. that's right yeah just thought i'd throw that out there all Mm -hmm. right yeah it's kind of important we're in proverbs uh, 15 as we look at dr dobson's life on the edge and we're talking about specifically the most critical decade in a young person's life now what is that decade well that decade scott is between 16 and 26 so there's an awful lot going on there. What all are we having to decide then? There, there's so many different decisions that a person has at that stage of life. And it's critical because based on whatever decisions they make in that decade, it's going to set the tone for the first half of their adult life. That's- See, I'm, I, I've got the wheels spinning in my head and I'm thinking 16 to 26. All right, critical decisions. Yeah. What's my first car going to look like? Uh-huh. Who am I taking to prom? <laughs> what shoes should I buy? But that's not what we're talking about no, here. No, huh? Right. And But if you do buy a car, as an example, if that's what your priority is and you buy a car, that means you're going to have to work. It means you're going to be financially uh, obligated to pay off that car. So what does that mean about other options? Things like, are you going to go to college or not? Are you going to go into the armed forces or the, the army or Marines or whatever or not. And if you choose to go into it, which branch would you go into? Based on it, it's going to dictate a lot of where your life will happen. Just like when, when you pick a school that you're going to go to and you begin to get your anchor sunk in a, a, a town that you spent four years or more 
in getting a college degree, that's going to have a major impact on your life coming out of it. Our son, Jason, I may have shared this before. I still giggle at this at times. He said, Dad, when he was a senior in high school, I've gone through the criteria of schools. I want a Christian school near the water where I can play basketball. Well, okay. You know, I, wow, that's pretty specific. Yeah, he knew what he was looking for. He said, Dad, that means I want to go to Gordon in Boston. So, okay, if that's what you really want. So he does, and he's able to play basketball. Well, he gets enrolled there, and he says, Oh, Dad, there was one detail I forgot to tell you about. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how big your checkbook needs to be. <laughs> okay, there's two <laughs> He says, He says, Dad... There are three women here for every guy. Oh, my. So that was a major player in his decision making. <laughs> but he went on to play a couple of years of college basketball. But the point that's important here is that gave him a taste for Boston and Massachusetts. And so he graduates from Gordon and Gordon and the city of Boston have a great relationship the, the city likes the product that Gordon produces, so they basically walk into jobs, and he had a job. He also found one of those three extra <laughs> young ladies, and she's now an incredible daughter-in-law of ours. Um, yeah, and, and life began. If he doesn't pick Gordon, he may have never experienced what Boston was going to be like. Exactly. He, he might have learned more about Columbus. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> been what you wanted him to think about. Uh, right, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. How hard is that as a parent when you're going through that decision process of letting your child make that critical a decision? You want them to be, like around here, right. parents want their kids to go to the branch. Right, yeah. They, they don't want them to go very far. Yeah. They might let them get away with Ashland University if they're from well, Mansfield yeah. or Worcester. They might even say College of Worcester. That might be... A, you want to go to what? There's <laughs> yes. no colleges outside the state of Ohio. What you, uh, you, <laughs> I don't recall that conversation. How what, yeah. what, how hard is that that time? Well, to put that in perspective, when we dropped Jason off at school, mom and Jason and I huddled together in a courtyard and we prayed for him and we cried and we said goodbye. And I'm thinking... If this was this hard for Jason, what's it going to be like for Mandy? <laughs> well, and so for Mandy, well, actually, Jason, what really had me uh, worked up was that he was at least 12 hours or so away right. from us being able to help him if he needed it. Well, it was like, you know, it never faced him. He went right in and he fit right in and he knew what he wanted, kept his head screwed on straight and because he had um, at least a year at his high school. Let me see, what was the name of that school? <laughs> we might be sitting in the building. <laughs> <laughs> That's a clue. That award, thank you. Mansfield Christian. So he only needed three years to graduate. And he was very focused. I think by his senior year, he had help from who he was courting to be motivated. There's, oh, that's always helpful. Yes. Always helpful. All right, so we're, we're talking about the decisions that are made, you know, like school, military. What kind of a career are you going to have? Right. Because that'll determine college. Not all careers need college. That's true. You can do what I do without a college degree. I wouldn't recommend it, but you can. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And, and so that's so critically important when you think about what has God called you to? Right. What are you wired for? There's a direct link between your career and depression. If you're mismatched in your career, you have a higher probability for depression. So there's really a lot to be said about the importance of what has God called me to? What am I driven to do? I could not sit behind a desk all day and flip papers back and forth and do paperwork. That's I just couldn't do it. That I would come unglued. I would be like, I'm out of here. <laughs> All right, so let's talk some about the the wisdom necessary because uh, our, our passage today out of Proverbs 15, you know, many advisors bring success. So let's talk a little bit about the wisdom and who you should seek this wisdom from. Well, right, and Scott, to seek wisdom, it is possible to borrow from an experience someone else has had. You might look at, at a, a cousin, a, a, an older sibling that has gone and they didn't make the right decisions and you see what what their life is like well if you can learn from that that's really a good thing and maybe it, it helps shape your decision making towards something more positive something that will be more successful for you so learning from other people's mistakes is critical we, we want to give ourselves permission to not have to make every mistake to learn from it i like what you just said there Give yourself permission. Yeah. We forget sometimes that we have to just, okay, I have to let myself do this. Right. Right or wrong, this is what I'm, I'm going to give myself permission to fail. I'm going to give myself permission to try. Right. And that can go an awful long way to self-esteem. True. It is possible to learn from other people's mistakes as well as their victories. When, they, when we learn from other people in their victories and they become a role model. And that's, that's really important. To be able to look at someone's life and see what decisions did they make that caused whatever issue came up. There are people in, in my family of origin that I was not at all impressed by. I just had this sense growing up, that's not right. That's not right. Until I met my pastor who began to, to say things that really made sense. And I'm like, this is good. This is really good. See, it's the Holy Spirit just having an early influence in your life when you, I guess God knew you needed it. Absolutely. That, and he knew I was going to need help, so he brought me this most beautiful person <laughs> to help me. On the third grade playground when you got right. married. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, without question. So we're going to bring in one of uh, Dr. Dobson and yours uh, favorite research topics to talk about, a guy named Maslow. Right. Now, let's talk a little bit about what you mean here in the notes where you say Maslow self-actualized. Well, that right. sounds like another one of those 25-cent words you got from Ohio State. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Did I get that from Ohio State? I might have gotten that from Ashland. Oh, okay. Either well, way. Either yeah. way. But, but so when we talk about self-actualized, for Maslow, that was the epitome of you've reached what you're supposed to do. So in his hierarchy when we would talk about physiological needs and safety needs being met, and then we're talking about belonging needs, and then self-esteem, then eventually, if, if all those stages are correctly done, we may end up in a position where 
we have reached what we're supposed to do. We've, we, we have matured emotionally and cognitively to a point where we're doing what we're supposed to do. Now, in the church community, we would say that we are in the center of God's will. Right. And that's what we should strive for. Even when I, I was teaching, and I really was very, very uh, focused on teaching and wanting to make a significant difference in my students' lives, our God still had more. That was the preparation. I needed that to be prepared to do what the bulk of my career would be. And you know, we're coming up on 25 years that I have been in the counseling field. And so that was what our God's will was. And to be in the center of his will meant, and I firmly believe this, that when we are in God's will, God's will never ceases to have his provision. And, you know, he's the Lord of the 11th hour, <laughs> right. but, he, but he comes through. Right. Yeah. So we're talking about Dr. Dobson's life on the edge today on the session. And the next thing I'd like you to do, Tom, is to define success. True success, according to Scripture, would be doing exactly what God designed each of us to do. It's not measured in dollars and cents. It's not measured in what kind of vehicle you drive or where you live or what kind of house you live in. It really is focused in, are you doing what God has called you to? And when you are, you're going to have the most success of any place you could have. And that, that success, it does not, like you said, it doesn't always mean money. Right. Because I could make easily double what I'm making now, sometimes triple, depending on the market I'm in, mm -hmm. to, to do this elsewhere. But that would also mean I'm in secular radio. I'm around people that do not love God. Right. And I've had to make that decision before of, okay, what is it that I'm really supposed to be around? It always comes back to what am I doing for the kingdom? There we go. And that's what really matters. There's, there's a, a friend of mine, a, a Christian businessman, his motto would be this. It's all about the kingdom. It's all for the kingdom. And when we take on that perspective, then decision-making becomes totally different. Mm, absolutely. And then there, there is always the passage that, um, that, that we rely on a lot from Jeremiah chapter 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, as we're talking about this idea of success and really trying to center in on what God wants us to do. What, what is, you have notes in here about implications. What does that mean? Well, we're trying to figure out what is that future? What, what are we wired to do? A topic that you could actually spend most of the night talking about likely has something to do with how, what God has wired you to do. And then we begin to seek in that field, how we can impact people. I remember Kathy and I were married probably two years or less. And this neighbor uh, couple that we looked up to told us, yeah, we're going to get divorced. That really impacted me. And that moment on, although Kathy had a lot to say maybe prior to that, that marriage really became very important to me. Even throughout my teaching career, Kathy and I would get involved with marriage retreats at our church. And, you know, I, I look back at where we started in marriage retreats. We started in the kitchen washing dishes. 
And as time went on and we grew and matured, we began to take a part in it. We ended up then becoming partners with another couple in our church that we would do marriage retreats together. And eventually we were doing them on our own. And, and so that was my heart. I could talk about marriage and, and I get pumped. And, mm. and you know, I, I want to talk more and more about it. And, and sometimes I'm talking to a husband in my office and they're like, really? You're that pumped <laughs> up over, and now you're understanding why you're in here. Right. You don't have the heart that, that you want. And, and, and so that goes a long way. If you can say, yeah, you know what? I, I could talk about, and this is a true story too, that my, my son in Boston, he was wined and dined to that little computer company out in San Francisco. It's named after a fruit. <laughs> 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 so that fruit went after your son, huh? That's right. Okay. So Apple wined and dined him. And he so he, end, he lands there. But he's there like, I don't know, maybe five years or six. And then this company that had friends of his, it was one of the music search engines. They ended up whining and dining him to come. And his decision, he said, Dad, I really began to think about what has the potential to keep me up all night talking about it? And he said it was music. And to this day, he's still, that's, that is so critically important. He could name, you know, songs out of different. Right. I, my head would spin. And, you know, I was probably alive when those songs were happening. <laughs> <laughs> that's some of the most yeah. fun I have with the, with the girls when we go out to eat or something. There's something playing in the speaker's. Uh-huh. And we'll play name that tune. Okay. Yeah, I bet you'd <laughs> like to do and that. We have fun with that. Mm-hmm. All three, all three of us have fun with that. Um, let's let's talk about one quick thing here as we wrap up, Tom. With what Doctor Dobson's doing with Life on the Edge, and that was one of his books, right? And so there's a whole another topic of this of his, a whole another depth to this. When we're talking about this critical decade of between 16 and 26 years old and all the decisions you're making here from school and military and work and marriage and finances and all that kind of thing. When should we as parents, or if we're in that age bracket or we're coming into it, when should we really start planning for talking about this topic? Well, and, and Scott, I really think late elementary into junior high, there should be some discussion about what do you what do you want to do? You don't have to carve in stone that you're going to be uh, a businessman and own dad's business. You know, n- not that. But what what's your interest in the fact you want to be thinking about that? That you are going to be making a living. What is your interest? And, and then the, we begin to nurture that as we go through junior high, and maybe some of the classes that are taken in high school might give them a, a better idea of is this really what God is calling you to and if you get drawn into it, then that's really a good thing. I I remember if there were two classes in my high school. Now, my high school career is nothing to write home about. <laughs> in fact, I, I probably paid off my government teacher just to get out. <laughs> but anyhow, one of them was psychology. Back in high school, I really had a heart for psychology. And my guidance counselor said to me, oh, you don't want that because you'll take a master's degree. And you weren't considered an academic by your guidance counselor. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was not at that point. So, see, I had that interest, and and that's what we're looking for. 
you know what? If, if someone loves math and they're they're good at math, well, you know what? Maybe we want to pursue that. They they love music. They they have a heart to be a music teacher. Then we want to pursue that. But that can be cultivated over high school. You don't want to wait till their senior year and go. Oh, let's see. What what am I going to do? They want to have some feelings about that. Then it's something you can nurture over the years prior to getting to that 16 to 26 yeah so they can start developing that because i you know i know a lot of kids that i went to school with that had a passion for something got a couple of classes into it in high school or right and they came out went i don't want to do that yeah i think i do want to work on dad's farm i need to get back into horticulture or whatever it was Mm -hmm. they took because we had a big hort program in high school right and you know that they kind of figured that out and there's still i think the last research i saw in, in uh, college students i think the average number of major changes is like eight mm-hmm. over their career so right. i think you said it wisely earlier it doesn't have to be set in stone when you come out of elementary school because you're 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 going to grow you're going to change your brain's going to change right your passions are going to change but you know, my my folks knew I was going to have something to do with the media when I was a toddler. Yeah, wow. Because I, I would make all kinds of racket while the show was on. They'd go to a commercial break, and Mom told me I used to run up to the TV and stare at every commercial. Interesting. Quietly, and then when the show came on, whew, away I went, and the noise continued. <laughs> Interesting. So they knew right out. They knew early on I was going to be in the media somehow. So sure. You know, yeah. yeah I mean, it, it may or may not happen that way for you, but. It is going to happen, and there there are passions right. in your life. And guys, trust me, it will. Your passions will grow beyond girls. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there yeah. are other passions. Don't <laughs> get caught in that, like I did. So as we wrap up today, Tom, there there is a difference in income depending on how much education you get. And of course, we want to strive for the the best education we can get for our passion for where we think god is leading us but we just want to run through some stats here to give you an idea of what you can expect to earn definitely and so when we look at this scott we're looking at the median lifetime earnings of full-time workers by level of education so when we talk about the median that sounds like a statistical term Uh uh-oh did we do this again scott (laughs) well the, the median if you think about a freeway the median would be like the middle part of the freeway not going north or south, but the part in between where cars end up piled up or broken uh, down. So the median lifetime earnings, when we look at less than a high school degree, it's $1.2 million, less than a high school. If you have a high school diploma over your career, you'll likely make $1.6 million. You have some college, but no degree, $1.9 million, which comes out to about 47500 a year. When you're talking about an associate's degree, two million or about fifty thousand a year. The the more education you get, the the greater the possibilities. But the problem with it is that it is so expensive to get a college education that people are frowning from it and they're they're turning to other options. Right. And there are vocational school options. There are tech schools. Yeah. They can get you the, the education you need for your level of whatever right. you're, you're wanting to go do. So as you jump to a bachelor's degree, Scott, we're talking about $2.8 million, or the equivalent of about 70000 a, a, a year. Clearly, they did not talk to anybody in Christian radio. <laughs> 
said the guy with the bachelor's degree. Yeah. Yeah. And so the master's folks, 3.2 million or the equivalent of 80,000. And, and so it just continues to go up from there. Uh, a doctoral degree, 4 million and equal to about 100,000 a year. A professional degree, 4.7 million or an average of 117,500. So there are implications about which one you pick. So, so see, someone maybe really has had their heart on being a doctor. And that that kind of thing, just they get absorbed in it and they want to do it. But they find out what college is going to cost. And then they, they go toward a vocational school and they end up being a plumber. Oh, they tend to make more money anyway. Right now, yeah. <laughs> That's, you know, I've seen that more and more, that more of these tech school type of things, the plumber, the welder, are making money now that are making doctors jealous. Well, and, and true. But here's the big piece that, that I want to say, too, is that what happens to how they feel about being a plumber or a welder. And that's a big part. Do they feel as successful as they could? Have they arrived at what they're supposed to do? So we find a way, and what I've said to some of my patients too, is that you might have a school bill, but if you make the right decisions after college, you don't go out and strap yourself to a point where you've got a house payment, a car payment, and a school payment. Maybe you your decision-making is and your goal is to wipe out your school loan early as possible. Okay, that's great. Some of them that who go into a higher education and they become a teacher or even teaching, I'm not exactly sure what level that starts at, but some of their school loans are forgiven. It, it also speaks about uh, scholarship. Yeah, the opportunity. That's where planning early, you yeah. know, to try and get those scholarship opportunities. Don't wait until, yeah, you know, the middle of your senior year and think you can apply for stuff because a lot of the, these scholarships are decided long before you're a senior. That's right. I have one grandson, two grandsons who are going to have golf scholarships. <laughs> Why does that not surprise <laughs> me a bit? <laughs> they have to put at least a hundred putts before breakfast. <laughs> and and then I have a, an eight-year-old basketball grandson. He has to shoot 100 free throws before breakfast. I see. <laughs> I see. And both of these are located in your backyard? No, well, you're right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and where we get to help him with it. All right. So, Tom, as we wrap up Dr. Dobson's life on the edge today, we we also understand that there are folks that are struggling with this idea, and how do I encourage my kids? Right. How do I get this plan started? And maybe, you know, we're, we're talking to a young adult that's maybe having trouble figuring out what that passion that God's giving them is. Right. You know, and having a conversation with a Christian counselor can be an idea. How can they start that conversation with you? Well, I can be reached, Scott, at heritagechristiancounselingministries.com. 